1: Big Show, Gordon
2: Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Keith Smith coming up here momentarily, contributes at uh, Yahoo Sports, as well as Real GM. We'll get his thoughts on uh, the resuming of the NBA season. Gordon, in fact, he lives down there in Orlando, so he's uh, down in that area. We'll ask him his thoughts.
3: I'd be curious to know on the lay of the land, you know, how close will the players be to one another? Uh, how close are the hotels? That, well, uh, he he's probably familiar with the whole setup. Uh,
2: why would how close the the hotels are or, or that sort of thing? Um, why would I that mean? Be a gonna be, are
3: they are they going to be running into each other on a regular basis? Are they going to have cookouts? Are they going <laughs> to? They, they they did allow for rounds of golf, right?
2: Oh. Uh, I would guess they would encourage social distancing. But I ask because part of the point of the bubble, of course, is to kind of isolate everybody in one place, which would make, you know, like where your hotel room or the proximity of one team's hotel to another less important. Not saying unimportant, but less important. All right. Uh, Gordon, should we talk to Keith? Well, let's run it by him. What do you say? Sure. Well, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. He's a contributor to Yahoo Sports and Real GM. He's our friend Keith Smith. Hello, Keith. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, thank you. How are you?
2: Doing doing fine. Gordon, why don't you uh, you start off the conversation with your question about the lay of the land?
0: Yeah, the, the
3: whole idea of uh, all these teams being in a bubble... Uh, are you familiar with the layout of uh, what What will the situation be? Will there, are the teams going to be holed up in, in close proximity to one another? Are they going to be running across each other? Are they going to be socializing at all? What's What's it look like?
0: Yeah, I'm very familiar. I worked at Walt Disney World for nearly 20 years, so I'm, I'm oh. about as familiar <laughs> with the, the right property guy. you can get. Um <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, so from all indications are nothing has been officially announced yet, but that uh, the primary host hotel for the NBA will be Disney's Coronado Springs Resort, and that is where they are expected to house the vast majority of the team and uh, NBA personnel that it's going to take to pull this off. There is the potential that there may be a couple of other resorts involved as well, um, but that has not been, you know, finalized or decided upon yet. But but they're definitely going to be, you know, uh, several teams um, and spread over a handful of hotels. They're not all going to have one for themselves. I know we all had some fun, I want to say it was about a week or so ago, with the idea of a hotel draft and and the like. And while Walt Disney World does have over 30 resorts on its property, they were never planning to offer them all to the NBA. They're actually opening several of them back up to guests uh, here in the next couple of weeks. The ones the NBA is at, they'll be the only ones there.
2: With that in mind, what do you think about the whole plan in general, and how the NBA has uh, come to the decision on how to resume?
0: Yeah, I think from the basketball side, I think they did a pretty good job. I think they made it about as fair as you can possibly make it. They they went back, looked at their history, and said, "All right, you know, teams as far back as Washington and Phoenix with an average of about." 16, 17 games to play, have made a run in the past, and, you know, so we're going to give them a shot, we're going to bring them in, and let's face it, part of that was, the more teams, the more games, the more games on TV, the more money coming back into the league. That's, you know, something that's very important for a league that has lost, you know, already significant amount of revenue, and is likely to be down revenue next year. But then, you know, from a competitive balance standpoint, I think they did a good job making sure. Really, Brooklyn or in Orlando in the Eastern Conference, and Memphis in the Western Conference, they've still got a pretty good advantage. Not only do you have to get to within four games of them, and then if you do that, then you've got to beat them two times in a row to take that final playoff spot away from those teams. And I think that's you know something that the NBA you know basically said to the teams that are in the hunt: you have a chance but the teams that are there, you still, you know, we're going to recognize and respect what you accomplished over the course of the regular season. I think that's about as fair as you can do it. What are the gyms like down there? Sure, yeah. There, there's going to be three primary facilities that they use at the ESPN Live World of Sports Complex. The first is the HP Fieldhouse. It is going to be the likely the primary game court. That one is uh, uh, host every year to a Division One college basketball tournament over Thanksgiving week. Every year has you know a handful of uh, NCAA tournament teams, ranked teams in that tournament, and that will be the primary game court. Then there's a second facility, uh, athletes athlete uh, called just the arena. It doesn't have a sponsor on it. I, if nobody jumps on that in the next month or so, I'm going to send them a check for about $20 <laughs> and ask them to throw my name on it because that will help me out. But, you know, they're going to – set that one up uh, uh, game arena style and that will be the secondary game court from what it sounds like then there's the visa center which is it's a big multi-purpose gym i've been in there where they've had as many as 12 to 15 courts set up at a time for uh, aau national championships and junior nba world championships And it sounds like they're going to set up a handful of courts in there with uh, privacy partitions and dividers and the like and that'll be the primary practice facility so that, that's what you'll have set up. So it's going to be not exactly what the NBA teams are used to but, but it won't be you know all that different from when they go on the road and they might be traveling and in uh, practice at a local high school or a college or something like that.
2: I want to ask you about uh, not having fans there and kind of uh, the atmosphere and should the NBA do anything about that. Gordon and I have talked about it and and, uh, I kind of am hoping for the bare bones you get to hear everything from the coaches to the players to the refs. But they've been talking about, uh, you know, uh, video game crowd noise and that sort of thing. What do you think about the broadcast and should they do anything fancy like that?
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'd prefer just give me the sound of the game if it's not going to be there. I've watched a handful of the soccer games and heard the piped in crowd noise. And what's what's a little weird about it is, um, from all my understanding is, that's for the broadcast only. The players can't hear that in the... you know, soccer stadium. Now that's not being you know uh, for them to hear. So at that point, I, I'd rather just hear it. I understand that not all the coaches are going to want everything that they say being broadcast and heard. And and I don't think the NBA wants you know some of those things that the players tend to say when they're out on the floor being heard by the crowd. So you might have to have an additional delay or or something of the like. But but I, but I'd rather much rather have the sound of the game. I thought Brad Stevens in a media availability last week said it really well when he said. Uh, you know, one of the cool things that you can do with this is you can hear just how much players talk possession to possession all the way through, especially on the defensive end about switches and coverages and, you know, get out on them, drop back, all those sorts of things. And he said that would be an experience for the fans that you just, you're really never going to get anywhere else. And, I, and I'm in agreement with that.
3: Wow, that's really something I hadn't given that much thought to. That, that's that's really cool. I mean, I would love to be able to hear all that, you know, because you're right. When you go to an arena, you don't hear it much because there's so much crowd noise going on. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Get rid of that piped in noise. I don't want to hear that.
0: Yeah, I don't want to hear video game, you know, crowd noise. And, you know, the video games, I know that they're, you know, pretty good and they do a good job of it. But, but it's, it's just I don't feel like it's ever going to react exactly the way you want it to to what's you know, happening on the court. And, you know, I looked at it kind of like the old Orlando Summer League, which was played in the Orlando Magic's practice gym. You know, I, I always enjoyed that because you could, you know, hear a lot of things and, you know, get, get a lot of things. And I'm looking at this as it, it's kind of like Summer League with stakes. So, you know, let, let's treat it like that and let, let's move forward and, you know, uh, have some fun here, experiment with, with something a little bit different.
3: One other thing I wanted to ask about the physical facility. Uh, is there room for the players' families to be involved as well, or is that going to be greatly limited?
0: Yeah, no, there will be. So so those two gyms, they're, they're think of them akin to like uh, – high level mid-major gym as far as size-wise. So there's enough room for, you know, well, what they're talking about doing is allowing the families to join the players somewhere after the first or maybe second round of the playoffs when the number of teams has shrunk down considerably and then the players' families will be able to come in and join them and then they'll be able to go to those games. And one of the things that, you know, I was told from someone with the NBA is... You know, when you win a championship, it's so important to not only celebrate it with your team, but with the people who helped you get there in your life, and your family, and the like. And they didn't want a guy guys to not have that experience. That's the big chunk of why. You know, beyond that, also, you know, being away from the family for you know well, ultimately, which could be you know three months if the family wasn't able to to come. So I think they're going to be there. They'll be there, you know, a little bit later into the playoff round, but they'll be there in the gym. I'm assuming with you know, all sorts of social distancing required and all the like, but they're definitely going to be there at some point, you know, once we get into this thing.
2: So I was thinking about it. uh, Keith and Keith Smith is with us uh, on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone with, with literally no home court, right? No home court advantage. No, in a best of seven series, you don't get uh, an extra game at home. They're all neutral games. So uh, with that in mind, these last eight quote-unquote regular season games, right, how much jockeying for position are we going to see, if not you know, losing on purpose in order to get the right matchup because, frankly, the number seed you are doesn't really matter?
0: Yeah, I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, well, what side of the bracket do I want to be on? In the Eastern Conference, can I get away from Milwaukee for as long as possible? Then that's what I want to do. I don't want any part of playing the box until I have to. And I think in the West, you're going to see similar thing, things with the Lakers. I don't think teams want to go up against the Lakers until they have to. So so teams are going to do what they can if stay out of that 4-5 matchup. Potentially, that means, you know, hey, we, we take it a little easier. We treat this like a preseason and, you know, just kind of play it out. We drop a slot in the standings and that helps us out. Or do we really need to push to try to get to that 2-3 line? Um, you know, that, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think you're going to see that. Uh, not for the home court advantage part of it, but just more, you know, what side of the bracket is more favorable for me.
3: Is there still concern there in Florida because the cases of COVID have uh, continued to increase? Is that
0: still the trend? Yeah, it has been the trend, but what I'll say is Florida is a pretty big state. And the vast majority of that increase has happened down in the southern part of the state, um, which is pretty far away. In central Florida, while cases are slightly on the rise, um, our numbers were very, very small to begin with. We, we, you know, somehow have gotten very lucky here. And I say we because I live in central Florida. I live, you know, just a couple miles away from Walt Disney World. So, um, you know, considering that our, our theme parks are the lifeblood of our communities here and, you know, millions of people coming in and out of this place, you know, the fact that we've been as lucky with our numbers being low is really important, but people, you know, they took it very seriously. They, they, you know, wore the face coverings right away. They stayed home when they were supposed to and the like. And I think that really helps. So while the numbers are going up slightly, they're not going up I think, an in, in amount that should be, you know, of super concerned for anybody saying, I don't know if the NBA should be doing this. I think if that's your concern, then that's your concern. And that's probably been that way for quite some time, but the recent numbers shouldn't change anybody's mind on that.
2: So, Keith, it finally feels like we can consider on-the-court storylines once again officially. So give us a couple of storylines going into this thing on the floor that are really catching your eye.
0: Yeah, I'm really curious to see a couple of things. One is, um, you know, there's a couple teams, at Miami Heat and the Philadelphia 76ers, who had talked a lot about being, you know, good playoff teams and being built for the playoffs. And in that, they were absolutely rotten teams away from home. Uh, Philadelphia has one of the largest spreads in the entire NBA. They were 29 and two at home, and I believe 10 and 20 something on the road. And that's, you know, really, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, massive spread there. So I think what we're going to see is, you know, just, just how do they do and you know, I'm curious to see what happens with the young players because I've had coaches and scouts tell me you know, young guys are going to be the ones that they can come right out of this break, they're going to get back into shape and they'll be the teams off and running and then I had another coach say to me ah, those young guys, they rely on the crowd to lift them, you know, I don't know how good they'll be in this environment with none of their own home fans so that's interesting. And then I'm really a team i am kind of been focused on here in the last couple weeks is the Houston Rockets who are playing such a small lineup. They were only playing, you know, guys six seven and below when they're starting group, and then they were only playing about seven or eight guys in the rotation total, so they were small and playing heavy minutes, and they looked like they were starting to get a little bit worn down, a little bit beat up, so I'm curious to see how they come back out of this. A lot of variance in the game because of all the three-pointers, but you know I'm curious to see if they come back a little more fresh and ready to go. In teams with superstars, can you just kind of, while well, things might get be a little clunky to start this off as everybody comes back from these breaks, well, what can you do when you can throw the ball to your star player and say, go get us a bucket?
3: Keith, do you think that uh, there's enough ramp-up time that these teams will be able to play at uh, a reasonable level uh, and injury-free or as injury-free as possible under this scenario?
0: I do. I think they did a really good job of, you know, making sure that they weren't rushing into anything um, as far as getting everybody back. So I know, you know, over really the next uh, a few weeks here, it's going to be about getting, you know, for some guys, getting them back into the country uh, that may have, may have left and returned to their home country. Of getting them back and doing their kind of that light practicing in the team facilities that we've seen going on now. Then everybody's going to pick up and move to Florida in early July, and then about three weeks later the season will start. And I think they really are doing a good job of, of doing everything that they can to mitigate you know soft tissue injuries, hamstring pulls, and things like that that you know occur when you try to ramp up too quickly. And then playing those eight, eight uh, seeding games, regular season games, whatever the heck the NBA wants to call them, um, I think that is is really important because that's going to allow guys to really get that rust knocked off Um, in a competitive environment you know where there is you know for a lot of these teams there is something to play for so i think that's going to be important to see how that looks as they go in and i think hopefully that'll get everybody to the point when we get to the playoffs. everybody's looking pretty good and hopefully everyone is about as healthy as can be
2: Keith, I'm sure that we uh, have asked you about Mike Conley and his fit with the Jazz before, but want to revisit that issue with you because it seems to me with no Bogdanovich, the Jazz success, of course, is going to rest on the shoulders of Donovan and Rudy. That was going to happen anyway, but it seems to me like Mike Conley is in a position to pick up a lot of that slack from a production standpoint. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I think you're going to need him. And Joe Ingles to step up and do a lot of playmaking as well as scoring off the dribble. That was the big thing with adding Conley and Bogdanovich in the last few years. I say this continually. Quinn Snyder's stuff is really, really good, and his steps are great. And when the Jazz I feel like what happens with the Jazz is it takes them a month or two to really get clicking and running, and then that's why they rip off these you know fantastic records down the stretch in the season. But then you get into the playoffs and you see the same team four, five, six games in a row, and they kind of get used to your stuff. And then you got to be able to create when the steps aren't there and when things break down late in the clock. And so much of that in prior years has fallen to Donovan Mitchell. It's been kind of all on his shoulders to make that happen. And I think now what you're, what you're hopeful was, was, was Bogdanovich and Conley would cover that for you and they'd be able to create some offense. Without, without Bogdanovich, that's going to be tough. But Conley's going to have to step up. He's going to have to give them more score. He's going to have to be there, you know, regularly. It looked like right before the pause, maybe he was starting to finally figure some things out. I know he had been dealing with some health issues and the like this year, and hopefully, you know, he's got that ready to go. And you know, he is the horse champion, right? So maybe that counts for something. I don't, I don't know.
3: There is some doubt about all of that, what you were just talking about. I saw a power ranking earlier today, and of the teams coming back, they had the Jazz rated like 12th. And I I was a little surprised by that. I knew the Bogdanovich factor was to be taken into consideration, but there were numerous teams that were ranked ahead of the Jazz who are behind them in the standings.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, I haven't I haven't looked at a lot of that stuff just yet. I've been kinda, of, you know, more focused on what is it gonna be, you know, when everybody gets back and, you know, how's that gonna work? But, you know, as I think about it, I think, you know, there's the NBA it's always been kind of a tiers league. And I would, you know, I'd have the Bucs, Clippers and Lakers really, go you know, on their own tier at the top of the league. I just think those three teams have really, you know, done everything that they needed to do to set themselves aside. But I would have the Jazz right in the mix with any, you know, five, six teams maybe in that next tier. Um that, that it feels like that's you know they're firmly in there for me. I know Bogdanovich. I don't I don't want to you know discount his loss in the lineup. He's such a good player. with having you know a fantastic season, especially now knowing the pain he was going through, how well he was shooting the ball, um, and really you know doing things as a scorer. But but it, yeah, for me it it doesn't make sense they really knocked him down too much because I think with the Jazz you know they're good and and that's a loss. But they're just kind of going kind to of kind of do what they do, and I and I think that's not you know that that's not a bad thing. They're, they're probably one of the teams I feel a little bit more comfortable about feeling like I know you know who they are and what they are when they come back, because that's always been kind of who they are and what they are.
2: Keith, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much.
0: Absolutely, thank you for having me. Y'all stay safe, you and yours.
2: Back at you. Nice. Keith. stay well. Uh, our friend Keith Smith, contributor for uh, Yahoo Sports as well as RealGM.com. dot com. That was a, a very useful conversation, Gordon. You were uh, hoping for a bit of uh, more information on the layout, and boy, was Keith ever in a position to give you that answer? Huh? <laughs> he's an expert, man.
3: He knows it like the back of his hand. He's worked there for twenty years. He said, <laughs> "Yes."
2: Yeah, so he he's
3: familiar with with what's going so, on. So he said most of the most of the teams will be in that one resort, right? That's not a surprise. So, yeah, and I don't know how big the resort is, but uh, these players from various teams are going to be running across each other. Actually, I think that's kind of cool.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I think most of these players are on a pretty friendly relationship uh, anyway, right? Maybe not Joe Ingles and Paul George. I just said that because th- Joe's talked about that relationship before.
3: I'm trying to figure out how much money would be won and lost if Michael Jordan were involved in all this. Oh, the I'm go- sure uh, on uh, the golf course, on the shuffleboard court,
2: <laughs> playing pinnacle <laughs> in the lobby. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a couple of dollars would uh, would change hands. Uh, there's uh, what's his name? Is it Alex Kennedy of Real GM? Speaking of Real GM. He did a deep breakdown. He's done a few of these, but he did a deep breakdown of gambling in the NBA, like uh, not not gambling on games, but gambling like in what they play in planes and stories from mm-hmm. players about how tensions ran high and those sorts of things. Like uh, the Javaris Crittenden-Gilbert um, Arenas conflict that culminated in uh, 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 really the loss of Gilbert Arenas' career, right? That started in, over a, a game of, uh, I think it was Dice. So well, there's, there's uh, definitely a, like a subculture of of uh, gambling.
3: We've heard about the high dollar uh, shooting contests that sometimes go on uh, after a practice.
2: You know, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's only natural. Uh, do you? <laughs> oh, we all did it. you know what we did on camping trips as Boy Scouts when we were bored in between things to, to do? We played cards. What? We played cards. Didn't you play cards a lot growing up as a kid? We did played you, cards a ton.
3: Uh, did you put uh, like fifty cents on the on a table?
2: Do you know we're, you know commissary dollars or, Corn nuts. Cans or whatever you happen to you know decide? Mosquito uh, spray. Right? Sometimes we just play with uh, we just somebody bring along poker chips and it would just be fake money or whatever. But you know, we all kind of that uh,
1: was contraband in our militaristic boy scout. Was it really? Oh yeah. No
2: cards. We were full uniform, baby. Wow! Really, we were we were definitely
1: not wait 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 you formal. could you could not recreate. No, no, no. We were there for business only. <laughs> Which was what did
3: that consist of? To, to R- it, rubbing sticks together to try and start a fire. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Sure. If,
2: if you're not working on a merit badge, then you better be then sleeping. You better be sleeping.
1: Oh no. <laughs> sleeping or uh, cleaning out the tent and campground. Yeah. Even on just or, a, or maybe marching around. You uh, guys think they, I'm yeah. kidding? I'm not kidding. It was, and it, it, it taught me a lot of discipline. But I, that's probably why I didn't go in the military. I felt like I'd already done it. <laughs> yeah, we
2: were my my scout troop was was not not quite that uh, rigorous. We had some damn time. We filled it with cards. It was great fun.
3: Did you do things like uh, in those environments, like Klondike derbies and all that yeah. stuff?
2: Yeah, I did the Klondike Derby.
3: Did you, you built a sled? Yep, we did. How'd they go?
2: Uh, we uh, the year we really. Put our whole heart and soul into it. Uh, was a year where Mother Nature didn't exactly cooperate, so it ended up being a bunch of troops out in the middle of a, a field that was supposed to be covered in snow that wasn't. So did you so put, it didn't uh, go well. Like rollers on it? No, we didn't have the we didn't have the event. We were stuck there with a completed sled and just uh, nothing to do.
3: Were you both Eagle
2: Scouts?
1: i was i don't know yep. about austin i was eagle scout or I, that was the only way out so i got that thing before i was 13.
3: <laughs> sounds like you had a, a real fun time
1: yeah. yeah it wasn't it wasn't all terrible but i'd never do it again
3: and remind me real quick what were your you've told us before but what were your projects
1: uh i i installed a few trees at a baseball park that needed it and They've now become light posts. They removed the trees like three years later.
2: <laughs> uh, I've probably told you, my Gordon. Uh, you you know uh, Tom Wharton. Yes. So Tom's wife Gayan. That's right. Was my mm-hmm. sixth grade teacher. Yeah, a science teacher, right? And uh, no, she was an um, elementary school teacher. I mean, she taught a no, bit about I mean, everything, but, but she specialized. Right. She she was uh, into uh, native plants, native to Utah, nature scaping, okay. Have you heard uh, those those phrases? She was yes. She was very uh, she was very all about that. So she did that at Oakridge Elementary. She she zero and so I designed a pamphlet basically to go along with what she did for ah. the students to to learn about uh, native plants. Good for you. Love the Warden family, by the way. Shout out to them. Oh, family. yeah. They're terrific. Yeah, no doubt. And Tom still is doing a thing or two every once in a while for the trip, right?
3: Yes. I see him on, uh, on Twitter sometimes making various comments and whatnot. Sharp guy.
2: Yeah. And then his twin sons, Jake and Raul, have wonderful families as well. So shout mm-hmm. out to the Wardens.
3: I remember when they were young. Oh, boy. The years have gone by.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Where does the time go? All Mm -hmm. right, stay tuned. We'll have more Big Show coming up next. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280, The Zone.